Well, good morning. We're going to continue in our series out of the book of Proverbs, and it's called Advice for Life. And today we're going to talk about a vital topic, and that is friends and friendship and how how that affects our lives. I want to read a couple verses, and then I want to show you the largest tree in America, okay? Uh, Proverbs 18.24 says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That exists. That's out there. Proverbs 18 verse 1 says this, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. I mean, there is this huge temptation and tendency to isolate yourself. You know what the one great thing about Isolating yourself, you don't have to deal with annoying people. And you always agree with everybody in the room because it's just you. And nobody hurts your feelings because you're the only one there. And we live in a day where we have screens that will entertain us, teach us, communicate with us. We've got small screens that have sort of like the pseudo-friendship interaction that's constantly going. There is a huge tendency to want to isolate. In fact, Japan and England both, over the last few years, have established a cabinet-level position, and they call them ministers of loneliness, because this world is full of lonely people. And that's a problem. Let let, let me show you the tree. I'm just dying to show you this tree. I've never seen it myself. Someday I hope to go. Uh, Look at this tree. This is the General Sherman. Now, you know you're a special tree when you get a title like that, right? This is the General Sherman. It is located in the Sequiota Redwood uh, uh, trees in the forest in California. It is the largest single, largest known living single stem tree on earth. It's 275 feet tall, 25 feet in diameter, and is approximately 2,500 years old. That's older than anyone in this room. I can say that for sure. Now, to put that in perspective, the General Sherman is, is taller than Springfield's Hammond's Tower. How many of you have ever seen Springfield's Hammond's Tower? Okay, that is 270 feet tall. This guy is 275 foot tall. That's one big tree. Now, you might think that a tree that large that's lived that long has got these most incredible roots that go to China. You know what I'm saying? But actually, this tree, the roots of this kind of tree only go about six to 10 feet deep. And yet they never, they rarely fall. They can withstand strong winds, earthquakes, fires, storms, prolonged flooding. I mean, this tree is 500 tons and It reaches so tall with such a short, relatively speaking, root system. 
Now, the interesting thing about the redwood tree is that their root systems are intertwined with each other. Redwoods, they grow in clusters. They grow very close together. Their roots intertwine with each other. They're dependent on each other for nutrients as well. Only redwoods have the strength and ability to support other redwoods. So beneath the surface of this humongously tall tree is a root system that interlocks with the other trees located right around it. Do you know what? That is the design of God for us in friendship. God doesn't create solo performers necessarily. When Jesus built the thing he would leave behind to change the world, it was called the church, ecclesia, the assembly. Throughout the New Testament, you hear all kinds of admonitions that we are a body. Some of us are the ear, some of us are the nose, some of us are the arm. The, I mean, that's the, that's the imagery there. And none of us can live independently, and we all need each other, and every member is essential. There is this interdependence that makes us strong and thrive. Then there are the one another passages all over the New Testament. Love one another, forgive one another, encourage one another. I mean, on and on and on it goes. Because God wants us to be in relationship with other people. Proverbs 18, 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I mean, the question here is, are you and I that friend to somebody? Proverbs 18.1, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Now, the most challenged group in the area of friendship and relationship development are the men. Do I get an amen from the men? Yeah, thank you. That's one brave man over there. I like you. Uh, now, have you ever heard of this thing called a man cave? Do you have a man cave? I kind of have a man cave. It's called my office. And I love my time in my man cave when nobody else is there. I mean, it, there's a glass door in between me and the rest of the house. And I can be with people a lot, and I love my family, but then there are times when I want to go, I want to go and be in my office. There is a tendency, especially among men, to isolate. Don't do it. You won't thrive. Friendships are powerful. Friendships are necessary. Friendships are worth the cost. Let me just read you some verses in Proverbs. I can't cover them all. There's so many. That's an indication that friendship as a topic is one of the key things for us to think about, meditate on, and to, to manage 
Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 27, 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. I'm chuckling because sometimes as your pastor, I say the wrong things when I meet people in a service. I might do that to you someday. I hope you'll have grace for me. So I was meeting people this morning and I was shaking hands and then I stopped and I said, do you, do you smell like the smell of cookies baking? And the lady in front of me said, oh, Pastor, that's, that's my perfume. Oh, okay. Oh, love the smell, love cookies. Okay, I'm, I'm trying to get out of here now. <laughs> Oil and perfume make the heart glad. And the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Proverbs 27, five to six. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Listen to that. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Somebody's flattering you too much. Somebody's telling you're better than you are. You need to get a clue. Because a friend is more realistic. You know what I'm saying? Proper appreciation is different than flattery and kisses. Just a bunch of kisses. Proverbs 13, 20. Whoever walks with the wise will become wise. But uh, the companion of fools will suffer harm who you hang out with is going to determine who you become. Proverbs 27.10, do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. Family's important, but you need to go beyond family. Make friends with your neighbor. Have people around you that, I mean, that are close by whom you've invested in and created a relationship that can matter and help in a day of calamity. Well, I've got four points here today and I want to just run right through them. Number one is this. We were made to need friends. We must resist that tendency to isolate Having friends is not easy and always fun. First of all, having friends takes work. People are hard to deal with. They disagree with us. They take up time and cost money. Friends can hurt deeply. They say something like, you know, I smell cookies. I don't mean to hurt people. There's a reason why we decide to isolate. You know, you get hurt by a friend and it stings so bad. And you may come to this statement, I am never gonna get close to anybody again because that hurts too bad and I don't think I can stand to feel it again. That would be a wrong move. Friends are gonna cost you. Um, you know, when God 
created the world in Genesis chapter 2. He created all things, day one, day two, day three, okay? He gets to when he, and er, at, for every day, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. That was sort of the rhythm of that particular passage. And then he gets to man, and he created man, and then he put him in the garden, and he, you know, he, he, he was in paradise, had everything he needed or wanted. Um, he had a relationship with God that was great, and only one rule. I mean, that sounds like an awesome thing, right? He tells Adam, uh, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And then in verse 18 of chapter 2 in Genesis, it says this, God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I'll make him a helper comparable to him. And then verse 21, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept and he took out one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in his place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. That had to be one of the most dramatically scripted moments in the history of the world. Here is Eve beside him And he's like, wow, I'm not alone anymore. This is amazing. Because Adam, I wanted you to feel the sense of aloneness so that when I gave you your wife, and then from there your children and the community around you and friends, you would treasure them. So God created us for relationships. If you want to be the General Sherman tree, taller than the Hammonds Tower in Springfield, Missouri, living 2,000 years, you're not going to live 2,000 years, I'm going to just tell you, but... um, You've got to understand the value of relationships and friends. We were made for friendship. Ken Shigematsu, in his book, God in My Everything, says this. This decline in real friendships and resulting loneliness we experience are not without cost. Medical researchers, social scientists have pointed out that a strong link exists between between friendship and well-being. People with close friendships tend to have better health, are more fulfilled, and live longer. In fact, he goes on to say, there's a a village of Rosetto in Pennsylvania, and it contains a close-knit community of Italian immigrants who frequently stop and chat on the street, visit with one another, and even cook for each other in their backyards. Researchers who have studied this village have shown that the people um, end up living longer if they stay in Rosetto than if they move away. This increased health and life expectancy where, uh, wherever there is a strong sense of community has now been coined the Rosetto effect. Strong friendships can also make a difference in our psychological well-being. In 1937, a researcher at Harvard began a long-range study on the key factors that contribute to human well-being and happiness. 
Now, the study tracked a group of 268 men who entered Harvard College in the late 1930s over a course of 70 years. Now, that's a long-range study. Okay. The researchers followed them through their life experiences of war, career, marriage, divorce, parenthood, grandparenthood, and old age. One of the things that surprised these ambitious elite, and now in their 90s, men, as they looked back over their lives, was the fact that it was not their career successes, nor their celebrated accomplishments that brought them the greatest satisfaction, but their relationships with family and friends. You and I were created for relationships. You and I need friends. Number two, friends should be chosen carefully. Whoever walks with the wise will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. I mean, the first thing is that you, you're gonna have to choose. Who are you gonna let clo get close to you? Who becomes part of your inner circle of friends? I mean, you don't get to choose your family but you do get to choose your friends. And who you choose is going to matter to your life. Show me your friends, I'll predict your future. Now, there are times in life when we need to evaluate some of our friends and say, you know what, this friend of mine, I like them a lot, we have, but actually they don't demonstrate a lot of wisdom, they kind of demonstrate a lot of foolishness. Have you ever gotten in more trouble because you're with friends, people you love and appreciate, and, and, and they started suggesting things that were not a good thing to do? Now, listen, when I was in college, some of the worst trouble I got into was because I was with my college friends who I loved and trusted and had a great time with, and then someone began to suggest bad things to do. And I was in a Bible college, maybe one not very far from here. It could be 628 East Kearney. Some of you would know where that place is. Some of you, I hate to burst your bubble. Most of you thought, oh, great, all of those students over there at the Baptist Bible College, that, you know, and not to, not to malign that school, that they are all perfect. And turns out everybody is the same everywhere in most colleges. You get what I'm saying? There are times when you need to make a decision and say, Hey, that's my buddy in church, but he's not leading me down a right path. I think I'm going to back up a little bit in my closeness because if I hang out with wise people, I'll be wise. You know, my grades actually improved when I hung out with people that did better in school because they were suggesting we go to the library, as boring as that is, right? Your friends will determine your future. Proverbs 12, 26. One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Proverbs 22, 24 to 25. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. You're hanging out with someone who rolls down the window and gives people a piece of their mind. Okay, you know what I'm saying? You don't want to learn their ways or have to put up with the consequences of how they're acting. You need to evaluate who you're with. Where are they leading you? So very important. Choose your friends wisely. Number three, we, we need to focus on being a true friend. 
have you ever prayed this prayer? Because I know a lot of times we're trying, we're, we're kind of usually on the evaluating end. Well, this friend of mine, he's this, this, and this, and this, right? Not such a great friend. Have you ever prayed a prayer that sounds like this? God, I pray that you would lead me to become a better friend to my friends. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. The comparison is this. Your brother is your family. There's a, there's a cultural sense of obligation to take care of family members. I mean, some do, some don't, but nevertheless, that, that is a cultural expectation that family should take care of family. That's actually a biblical idea. But then sometimes you get a friend who's not your brother, who loves you through all times. Wow. That's a treasure. I have a friend I went to college with who pastors in Michigan. And as, I, as I've been writing this message, I thought about this guy because, I mean, we, we hung out in college. We dreamt of the ministries that we were hoping to be a part of one day. Um, we talked about the girls that we were going to date and who we might end up marrying. And, um, I mean, I, this guy had this girl he really, really liked. She kind of had a, had a boyfriend, but that didn't, he was still bold. He was still going to try to make it happen. And I remember one Friday night, he says, hey, let's go park in front of her house and see who drops her off. I says, listen, you're, you're driving yourself crazy. Leave this girl alone. Let's go do something else. No, no, let's, let's just go see. So we went, and the guy that we thought was going to drop her off dropped her off. I said, it's time to move on. But he was so taken with her, he didn't. And he married her. And they've been married for like more than 35 years. This is my friend that would tell me when I was doing things that wasn't right. This is the guy that we preached our first sermons together in the dorm. You know, a friend who loves at all times, I'm gonna say this guy is, he, he, you know, we're not close in proximity, but anytime we pick up the phone and call, like, it all comes back. I call him and say, hey, listen, I'm dealing with this kind of a problem. Do you have any experience in that? Can you give me some advice? Here, let me tell you what I, this, this, is, what, this is what I heard. It, our attorney told us this, and so, hey, thanks. That's, that's actually very helpful. When I had surgery several years ago, this friend of mine, he came to Springfield for a meeting, but he made his way over to my house. And he came in, and he sat with me. It wasn't a conversation of great consequence, but you know what was amazing was I had a friend who loves at all times. What kind of a friend are you? I think we should try to be tr truer friends. Do a better job at loving the people around us. If you have a friend and you want to be a friend who loves at all times, you're going to have to always incorporate grace and forgiveness because there is no human relationship that does not require grace and forgiveness. I mean, if you have a friend who said, well, you didn't come to my graduation or, or you know, I, I don't know that I could ever get past that. I mean, you, you so failed me. So I don't know. Those are words that destroys that they, they destroy a friendship. But you, you could say, hey, listen, I was really hurt. I was so disappointed, even a little bit mad at you, but you're my friend, and I love you, and I've got grace enough to keep this going because it matters to me.
Proverbs 17, 9 says this, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. If your pattern is every time your friend hurts you, you go tell people. You're going to turn around one day and discover, I actually don't have very many friends. But if you'll respond with grace and forgiveness, friendships will survive. Number four, true friends have honest conversations. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And you know what comes to my mind? It, it's this show I've watched on TV. Some of you maybe have seen it. It's called uh, America's Got Talent. Anybody ever seen that? You know, I find it a little bit boring when everybody is really good who's singing and competing because it's just like one more talent show. But I do love the tryout time. Have you ever watched the tryout time? And the producers strategically bring in some people that are the worst singers you've ever heard in your life, but who are very confident and believe that they are going to be the next Elvis Presley. You know what I'm saying? And there is, I'm thinking to myself, why did none of their family or friends tell them, hey, listen, you really don't sing well. I mean, was their whole circle tone deaf? I mean, I don't get it. They actually let them go, stand in front of Simon Cowell, who's known to be the hard-hitting judge who talks, talks to them and tells them what it's like. Now, here are some of my favorite statements coming from Simon Cowell. He, he, to a lifeguard who was auditioning, he said, if your lifeguard duties are as, were as good as you're singing, a lot of people would be drowning. <laughs> to one person he said, if you would be singing like this 2,000 years ago, people would have stoned you. Yeah, I love Simon Cowell. Don't you? He's, he's awesome. He's, he, to one person he said, there's only so many words I can drag out of my vocabulary to say how awful that was. So, so here's the deal, okay? If your friend's going to go on America's Got, Got Talent, the true friend says, hey, I love you. I'll listen to you sing karaoke but you're just not that good. Don't go on that show. The rebuke of a friend can be harsh and hurt. But when a friend speaks out of a foundation of genuine love and concern and protection, even though it stings, somehow it's good. We need friends. We need to choose our friends wisely. We need to focus on being a true friend. And true friends have honest conversations. Kind, loving, but sometimes hard. This week I sat with somebody for lunch and they asked me what I was preaching on. I said, I'm preaching on friendship. And then this person immediately mentioned a book that uh, he had read and he said it had helped him gain a better understanding of friendship. And I love this guy. 
I mean, this guy is very thoughtful. He's seeking the Lord. I love how he's, he's committed to grow and learn. And he said the book was entitled Disciplines of a Godly Man by Kent Hughes. And he mentioned a particular passage that he remembered. And he, he quoted part of it. Later I called him and said, hey, could you tell me that quote again? He says, let me, let me look it up and I'll give you exactly what it says. So he sent it to me. And this is what it says. No matter what our disposition, we need to work at our friendliness. Did, did you all hear that? No matter what our disposition is, whether you're an introvert, an extrovert, if you're serious or silly or whatever, whatever our disposition, we need to work on our friendliness. We need to be consciously cheerful. We need to ask questions. We need to place ourselves in situations where friendships happen. If you are a regular church attender, but do, not, do, no, do no more than attend morning worship, you're depriving yourself and the church of the friendship so desperately needed by all. You know there are people all around you who need a friend. Maybe God has designed you to be that friend. You need to put yourself out there and put yourself in a place where maybe you could develop a friendship. Men, because the book is entitled Disciplines of a Godly Men. Women, you can listen to. This is important for you. We must place ourselves in the ways of friendship. An adult Bible school class, a home Bible study, a men's breakfast group, a men's retreat, especially a service team in church. Um, women are so much better at this usually than men. We as men need to take the initiative. He went on to tell me in his, he, he wrote me, he says, the effect for me is that in praying for friendships, not just that I would have new friendships, but the quality of friendships reshaped how I viewed both prayer and friends. I also began looking for opportunities to deepen friendships with friends, opportunities, looking for opportunities to live life together or to talk openly together or confess sin. He went on to say, I think the other main thing was I've met a lot of people in my fraternity and since that have friends, but no one to turn to when they have real issues or people who know everything about them and what they struggle with that they can turn to. That's the advantage we have as Christians. We're on the same page and we can strive for the same goal on an even footing. You know, when I look out at this room, the church, one of the values of our church is we're here to develop community. I shake your hand, I get to know some of you more and some of you less just because it's hard to know everybody. But you all matter to me. I belong here. You're my friends. You're hi, hello. You're, can I pray for you? You matter. The church is what the world needs. In a lonely, isolated time, the church is the antidote because you and I don't have to put on any pretense. We know that we were saved from our sins by our glorious Savior, and he is constantly at work in us, and together we pursue 
all the good he has. You know, we have the five things that are posted around the building. Three of the five things have to do with this effort to create community. Attend a service is one. Get in a group, a small group, a Sunday school class. Uh, the, the men's Bible study is firing off again at, on, on the 24th as long as the ladies. You, you, I, and Ladies, you do a better job. You have more than we do. Men, I want us to correct that this semester. You say, I don't like men's groups. Well, sorry. Come. We hear teaching and we sit at tables and we have conversations. And the women do the same thing. The youth does the same thing. The kids treat. They have small groups. We, we need to attend a service. Get in a group. And then join a team. Some of the best friendships are developed when you volunteer on a team at church. You will make a difference. This is what we're supposed to do. Friendship is so important. You know, one thing I love about the gospel is that we have a God in heaven who is the supreme ruler of heaven and earth, sovereign in any way. He is eternal and transcendent. And then he sends his son to save us. And just before Jesus goes to the cross in John 15, Jesus says this. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. He's looking at his disciples and he's telling them this. You know what he's about to do? He's about to lay down his life and he looks at his disciples, all of whom would betray him and fall away. You know, this greater love, there's no greater love than someone who will lay down his life for his friends. And then he says to them, you are my friends. You're not my project. You're not my strategy. You're my friends. How incredible is it that God wants to be our friend? I don't know if he's your friend. I do know this. If you would cry out to him today and you would believe on Jesus who was God sent to the world to rescue us and redeem us. If you would ask him to forgive you of your sins, he didn't come to condemn, he came to rescue. He would come into your life and you would experience friendship with God. And he'll never leave you or forsake you. He'll never lose grace for you. He'll forgive you every time, every time. He'll never lose hope for your future. And he'll never get tired of you. In fact, his goal is to take you with him into eternal life.
How does God do that? He's so great and mighty, he has the capacity to be your God and your friend and your savior. If you just ask him. Romans says, for whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord will be saved. You just have to call. You know, I don't know where you are today. You know, God's not disgusted with you. He loves you. Did you know that God's got plenty of friends, but he wants you too to be one of his friends. He's just waiting for you to call on him. So as we conclude today, how about calling on him today? If you've never accepted Jesus as your savior, ask him to be your savior. If, have you ever prayed about your friends? Have you ever asked God to make you a better friend? Have you ever asked God to help you evaluate who should be in your inner circle of friends based upon whether they're wise or foolish and what your role is in their life? Have you ever asked him that question? Proverbs says, those are things you need to think about. Would you stand, please?